Good morning, Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart. And so what I want to do this morning, I, I want to begin my message on a lighter side, all right? So I'm, I just want Johan just to raise his hand. He's my little friend. And uh, I don't know if Johan wants to come up here or not. That's okay, buddy. All right, just give me a, a thumbs up, all right? There you go. Look at that. Great thumbs up. And uh, I, got a, I got this great story that, that I want to tell you about this little boy. He's five years old. All right, Johan, isn't that a great picture? And after church last week, I was, I was just drinking a cup of coffee, having a donut. Just make sure there's one half donut left for me when you all leave. <laughs> I mean, there are times I go over there and it's like, hey, these guys ate a lot of donuts today. What's going on? So, no, you can have all you want. But I, I, was, I was having fun just uh, hanging out with uh, Garo. Bazant and, and Sharon, and they told me this story about Johan. And uh, they live just north here in just a nice little country lot with, with some space to, to roam, and they, they have a little, a little hobby farm, I'd call it. Maybe that's not what it is, but in my mind, it's a hobby farm. And so they got, they got animals, all kinds of animals, goats. And, and uh, my favorite, though, sheep, dogs, but my, my favorite is, the, is Harley. This is, <laughs> it's a pet. This is Harley, all right? And there's a story behind Harley. And I was going, wow, really? That's your pet? And he call, they called, hey, Harley, come on. We were over there one, one night, and he comes scampering up, up on the, the deck there, and they slid out some food, and he just, <laughs> it was like, he slurped it up, he's, and he's just a family pet. Family pet, okay? And so they were telling me about, about Johan. And, uh, um, yeah, there's another picture of, of the, the family, just a, just a beautiful family. And uh, God's done some great things in, in their lives, in their hearts. And that's another story someday. But... Uh, Garrow had cleared out the back pasture so they could fence it in for their goats and sheep and Harley the hog. And Johan, age five, wanted to inspect his dad's work. So the two of them pulled, up, pulled on muck boots, all right, getting ready to go out to the pasture. That's where they were heading. And Johan, in his cute little lisp, called out, Mommy, I'm going with Daddy to see the back pasture. That's what he said. We're going out to see the back pastor. And then Jean, Jer, Garrow asked him the back pastor question, is that like Pastor Paul? <laughs> Johan looked at him a little exasperated and said, no, Daddy, Pastor Joel is the back pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, that makes me the front pastor, and I was trying to figure out Nathan, Pastor Nathan, let's have a little contest, all right? So you guys help me. We're, I don't know what we're going to call Pastor, pastor Nathan, so, so you come up with a, with a couple of descriptions on that. Yeah, leave, leave Nathan out of it, for sure. Uh, I, love, I love that story, and he's just, uh, he's a wonderful little boy. And if you don't think many children think pasture 
is what they hear when they hear the word pastor. Let me show you something. I got this card last week. No, really, last week, Siri Monroy, she helps in, in Kids Town. She said, hey, some of the kids did, a, did some cards for you. And they, they filled out this little card here. And here's what it says. I'm keeping it. Dear Pastures. P A S T U R E S. So it's time to move on from a light note to a serious note. Are you ready? You're saying, well, is, what's the connection between that story and where you're going? There is no connection. It's just laughter. <laughs> Serious note. Turn with me or click on or follow on the screen reading portions of Genesis 39 as we continue our series on Joseph, a story about a family. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. We know the, the context. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And we talked about that last week. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When he saw his master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success, in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with any, anything except the food he ate. So everything else, it was Joseph's guy. Don't ask me, ask Joseph. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against you? He didn't say that. Against God and you, but against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand. He ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of his house, the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me, ran out of the house. She kept 
his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then he, she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought has come to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. You know the story. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Put him in jail, in prison. And we talked about that a little bit last week, what happened there in jail. The topic today is resisting and defeating temptation in our lives. Joseph, as we just read, was victorious over temptation. Everything that I'm saying today will drive us to three statements that will help us defeat temptation in our lives, all right? Everything that I'm saying are going to drive us to three statements. I want you to know and be encouraged that we can win the battle in any kind of temptation if we give ourselves to these three statements. That's how confident I am. I mean, I believe this word is a powerful word. And if we give ourselves to this word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on this word, we can, we can win over any kind of temptation that the enemy throws our way. I believe that with all my, with all my heart. So I want this word to be a hopeful word. It's a hard word. But that's all right. We have to have these kinds of words. So before I give these three things to you, determine right now in your heart, if you will, all of us, I'm going to take these statements home with me. Don't leave them on the screen. I'm going to put them up on the screen, and you can rush out of here, eat all my donuts, or our donuts, the family. <laughs> and by the time you, you put the key, or however you start your car, car nowadays, it's like we can easily forget. Believe me, I preach these sermons, and there are times when it's like, wow, okay, what, what, what was it that I was trying to communicate? I'm going to drive you to three statements, and there's going to be an umbrella a statement over the top of the three. But you've got you to today work with me in this way, that you're going to commit to either writing these statements down or taking your phone out and making yourself a note, and then what I want you to do for a week, one week, I want you to start your day with these three statements, with the umbrella statement. And I believe that you will be prepared on that day to face the temptations that the enemy brings against you. Because there is no day where the enemy says, I'm tired, I'm giving up, I'm, I'm going on vacation. Have you ever had the enemy take a vacation on your watch? I, I don't see any hands here. I mean, every single day, there's some kind of temptation. It's not always sensual or sexual. But the temptations come. And so the Word gives us tools. And you can, you can leave today with some tools. So here's the umbrella statement. And I didn't even write it down. But it's this. 
The power of the first frame, exclamation point. That's the umbrella statement. The three statements drop underneath this one. Apostle Paul, some parallel accounts in the New Testament. You can write these down. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. Take them home, read them, even memorize them. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, right? That's a great verse. But when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, he will what? Provide. We're going to talk about what this way of escape is. Because every temptation, God provides a way out. You don't have to go, oh, man, I just don't think I'm strong enough to win in this temptation. That's a lie of the devil. If you believe that, first things first, you say, that's a lie of the devil. You want to say it out loud. I don't, it doesn't matter. Just recognize it's a lie. That's a lie of the devil. There's a way out of this temptation. I'm going to tell you what that way is. So that you can endure it. James, hold on now a second. Where's James 1.13? When tempted, I don't have that one, but you can write it down. When tempted, James 1.13, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He didn't, Joseph didn't blame God, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own desire, evil desire, and enticed. When I give in to temptation, it's nobody's fault except who? Me, myself, and I. I can't blame anyone. I can't blame the situation I'm in. Can't make excuses. That's not what the word, the word doesn't give me that option. In fact, we can begin to convince ourselves that that's in the Bible somewhere, and we deceive ourselves. We begin to believe that what we're hearing and, and believing is the truth. Then after desire, verse 15, has conceived, we could call that lust. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I mean, just death, I mean, not just physical death, but the death of a, a vibrant, beating heart for God. And that's what we want. I mean, in the end, the devil's got nothing that can give us life. I don't want to compromise, because if I compromise, that means, man, my, my relationship with God never changes, but my fellowship, I mean, that sin can begin to dull my heart. Wow. When I go there, it's like, ah, Lord. Joseph knew these truths 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13, before they were written down on paper, they were written in his heart. He won, and so can we. I got a long quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, I was thinking, well, yeah, we got time, because I want you to listen to this. 
He, he was martyred under Hitler's regime in World War II. He wrote a booklet called Temptation. He writes, quote, In our members there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is, is, is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge. It's a temptation. Love of fame, of power, or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God. No, he's way too smart for that. But forgetfulness of God. If you start forgetting God, somewhere down the road, you bought the, you took the bait. I took the bait. It's like, I got to go, I got to trace that back. What temptation did I get, get my, give myself to? Continuing, the lust that aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The power of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word. Now that's what I call a definition of temptation and the power it has when we give into it, dragged away and enticed, as James says. And there's not one person who has cast a shadow on this, this earth, including Jesus Christ, who hasn't gone through temptation. And there's not one person here except Jesus Christ who hasn't given into temptation. All of us have. We picked the right Sunday to come to church because there's going to be some chains that are broken today. You're just gone. The devil's making you feel bad about yourself right now. If you feel bad about yourself, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil. You should be saying, the Holy Spirit's saying, push that aside. Listen to what I'm saying. This could be one of the, the greatest break, spiritual breakthroughs in your life right today. Because we're going to give you the power of the first frame. And three statements whereby we can escape it like Joseph did. In my study, I have a book by Chuck Swindoll on Joseph, a man of integrity and forgiveness. And he writes one of the best chapters I've read on resisting and conquering temptation. He has four statements. I'm going to give you three. I mean, these statements were so powerful in my life this last week. It's like, I, I, got, to, I got to give these statements to you. You must not be weakened by your situation. 
Joseph wasn't. He was a master of the first frame. You can put that in parentheses, all right? Joseph wasn't. He was a master of the first frame. I'm going to tell you what that is later. What was Joseph's present situation in the story? What's your situation as I proclaim today? We all have a situation. We're all in different places, but we're somewhere in our lives. Look at verse 7 again. You can go back to it. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, come to bed with me. What was Joseph's situation at that time? He was being blessed by God, right? And there are times when, I mean, we're just walking in God's blessing, his prosperity. And listen, we should be proactive in these times. We should put a guard up. The enemy hasn't taken vacation. Joseph was experiencing success when this temptation when this temptation came to him. You must not be weakened by your present situation. He was ripe, ripe for this attack from the enemy. Satan what? Struck. Mrs. Potiphar, she pursued him. How would he respond to this frontal attack? Joseph was in a position that could have easily undercut his resolve to say no to the spirit and say yes to lust. I mean, he was handsome and alone. Right? That's what the word says. He enjoyed a secure and trusted position. His accomplishments made him the object of much praise. He was vulnerable. He didn't look like it. But man of living... This guy was vulnerable. Listen. Where are you most vulnerable? Do you know? For example, does the enemy attack you like this when you're lonely, depressed, sick, tired, or successful? Sometimes the best offense you can have is what? Like the Minnesota Vikings, the best defense. I was, oh, I shouldn't say that. I wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Be on the alert. The enemy is lurking in the darkness, ready to strike when he smells blood. There was a local car dealership in the town I grew up in. Named Lust Chevrolet. That's <laughs> what I'm kidding you. <laughs> I went to the Friday night stock car races in town, and uh, they sponsored many of the best cars and drivers. And Roger Swinson is your winner, sponsored by Lust Chevrolet. I mean, it's like I heard that over and over. And I was a young kid, I went to church all the time, and Lust was a four letter word. I mean, you would barely say that. It's like, whoa, don't say lust. <laughs> and here it is, lust Chevrolet. They win again.
And we associate that word lust what? With what? The heart. It's so easy, listen, to assume that impurity begins in the heart. But it doesn't occur in the heart first. Where does it occur? In the eye. Potiphar's wife was looking. She cast longing eyes on Joseph, verse 7. Verse 6. At some point she began not only to notice Joseph, but also to, quote, look at him. After she started looking at Joseph, it was only a matter of time before her looking turned to longing and her longing to lusting. That's how it works. So impurity begins in her eyes. So Jesus said, we don't have time to go. Just go look at, at his teachings on the eye. When the eye is good, it's full of light, everything's great. Well, that's a paraphrase, all right? But when the eyes are dark, you got trouble lurking. You would say in this culture, pastor, in which we live, what you're about to say next is just doesn't work. It's not that easy. But if, it, if lust first starts in the eyes, I just say, don't look. It's like, it's okay, it's impossible not to, to see, to glance. Something is right there in front of your face. Don't look at pornography. Don't look at inappropriate sites. You know this. It's just like, duh. But we need to say this. Don't look at inappropriate sites on the Internet. Don't look at movies that are sexually explicit. Don't look at television programs that are seductive. I mean, if you see a woman who's not addressed appropriately, the first thought you should, that should come to mind by the Holy Spirit is, don't look. You saw what you saw. Look away. Do you, I use this illustration often. Like 15 years ago, I got it. I was looking for it this morning in my files, pulling my files. I was like, where's that illustration at? Because I'm using it again. And if you're around here in two years, you'll probably hear it another time. But it's the Kathy illustration, the comic. And it was the Halloween part of the year. And she was going on a diet. And all the stores had Halloween candy. You know, all the great candy. Well, Snickers and Hershey bars and just, you know, name it. And she said, first frame, I think there were like eight frames or ten frames. First frame, she said, I'm not going to get in my car and drive over to the grocery store. I'm not going to do it. First, that's the first frame. And, but she, she said, no, okay, second frame. I'm in my car, but I'm not going to drive to the grocery store. I'm just going to drive around town. Well, she's, she drives by the grocery store, third frame, Right? I'm in the grocery line or in the parking lot. 
I'm, but I'm not going to get out. I'm going to stay right here. Is it getting harder? Fourth frame. I, I'm going to get in. I'm just going to walk around, you know, this grocery store, but I'm not going to go down the aisle with all the candy in it. She's in the aisle with all the candy in it. I'm just going to look at the candy, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to buy anything. Well, I, I got it. I got the candy, but I'm not going to open up any... <laughs> I'm not going to open up the wrappers. I'm just going to look at it. I'm just going to open it up and smell it, but I'm not going to taste it. And then the last frame. Eat, 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 eat. Wrappers all over the place. It's humorous, but isn't that the way it works? You must not be deceived by the persuasion. And Joseph wasn't because he was a master of the first frame. Where's the easiest way out of temptation? We say, oh, the Lord's provide an escape. Thank you, Jesus. I need that escape. And you can pray it when you're in the sixth frame, all right? Do that. But it gets a lot harder. And he does provide ways of escape. But we're looking for like this, this open door, right? We're in. We're in frame five, frame six. We're praying for an open door. Just, you know, kind of like drop the door, swing the doors open, and let me drop out of this. No, it doesn't work that way. The easiest place to deal with temptation is right here. The power of the first frame. It's like, well, my flesh doesn't like that. You got to let me go to, at least, preacher, let me go to frame four and five. I promise I can get out of it. I, I can get out of it there. You, maybe you can, but probably you can't. And at some point, you won't. The way this, of escape is right over here. And if you can master the first frame... You're going you're gonna to win the battles. Maybe you're way over there and you're bound and there's a stronghold in your heart. That's not the time. I mean, today you can, you can be delivered all the way over there. But you're going to need some accountability person in your life to help you stay there. You might be at that place where you have, you have to have someone to help you. And we know, we know what's going on in this world. just to click away from frame six. Mrs. Potiphar, I think she's a Proverbs 5 lady. I think it's Proverbs 5. One who seduces. And that's our media, Right? I think it's Proverbs 5. Read that proverb. 
talks about the woman who seduces us. And I can't see anything. You know I don't have my glasses. But it's, it's one of those chapters, right? Chapter 5, yes. What types of per- persuasion are most likely to tempt you into moral compromise? Words, sounds, sights, touch. Three, you must not be gentle with your emotions. And Joseph wasn't because he was what? The master of the first frame. Our emotions will beg and plead for us to open the door to the thrill of temptation. But we must learn to keep it close, closed tightly. Remember what Joseph said, how could I sin against my God? Then he ran. I'm going to ask Pastor Nathan and the team if they'll come, and we're going to close with a song. Lord, make me clean. Pastor Nathan wrote this song a while back. And you know, the good news is this. Today is the day where each and every single one of us, no matter what temptation we've struggled with can go all the way back to zero. And then it's like, well, I'll never have any temptation again after today. This is going to be so great. No, you will. But you're starting where? You're saying, well, I really messed up. You, you, if you only knew about all the things that I gave into right over here, you would be ashamed of me that's a lie. Where does that come from? Does that come from God, God's spirit? That's a lie. I mean, God can take you out of frame 10 and set you free. And there's consequences, obviously, obviously to all these frames. And those consequences, you can't take all the consequences away, but sometimes the Lord does some really cool things in terms of blessing. But he can take you all the way from there to zero. And you can leave today, no matter what you did this morning or last night or last week, what you gave yourself to, you can go to zero. Today, zero. And then you can take some notes And tomorrow and this afternoon, look away. The Holy Spirit will just, he'll just, boom, he'll just put that in. Look away, you're going to go. Flesh is saying, no, I don't want to look away. You're going to go, if I want to win this now, I'm going to look away. I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk around. I want to give somebody my phone for a week here. I'm going to ask someone to be an accountability partner. I'm going to put covenant eyes on all of my computers and devices. I want to stay there. You can. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, will you? Please stand. Let's sing this song as a closing prayer.
the Holy Spirit just do, do a work in our hearts.